Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to the podcast. Today I want to talk a little about anger and unforgiveness. I think that they are of the same family, but they are not the same thing. I think one can produce the other and vice versa. There's a lot of detail I want to get into on the mechanics of how it works. But first, I want to start by what I mean by the title of this episode, which I called Hate Juice. And that is a reference to the idea that human beings are rewarded with dopamine when they get angry. In other words, you can get addicted to anger because you can get addicted to dopamine. In fact, most of the addictions in the world are really addictions to dopamine. Um, so, for example, a lot of the drugs out there, the higher the dopamine release, the more addictive they are. So methamphetamines, for example, you get a huge hit of dopamine uh, when you take meth. And so it's very, very addictive. But it also explains a lot of the things that people get addicted to that don't necessarily have a chemical component, like gambling or shopping and that kind of thing. What they're really addicted to is dopamine. So in a way, the, our limbic system and dopamine is the real culprit behind at least many of the addictions out there. It's sort of counterintuitive that something that seems negative can actually feel good. My suspicion is that if you are addicted to anger, you probably know that that's true. But one of the reasons that I initially started thinking about this was because I learned that things like taking those ice plunges, you know, or taking cold showers was actually just re uh, producing really high quality dopamine. So people, you know, they talk about how, man, I get to take those, I get this euphoric feeling and it's just really great to take ice baths. They're just talking about being high off dopamine and they're acting like it's some, you know, great, amazing thing to take ice baths. But that led me down a rabbit hole to find things like cutting oneself. You know how there are cutters? Well, we tend to look at them like, you know, oh, the psychological deep trauma. I, you know, like, well, tell me more about your, your trauma. And it's like, yes, I have a, a very interesting disease. But really all it is, is they're just addicted to the dopamine that's produced when they cause that, uh, uh, the pain. And so, and it's actually particularly good dopamine. They've done studies on the dopamine that that is caused by pain and it's of a higher quality. It tends to last longer. So they're getting high off the good stuff. So hence hate juice. And really the idea is that the pattern of anger's dopamine release is very similar to that of a drug addict. For example, uh, they need more of it as time goes on. So you know how you have to keep your tolerance builds up as it were. So you have to keep getting more and more angry. Uh, the outbursts of anger, like, you know, putting your fist through a wall or banging your hand on a table or knocking a lamp over or something like that, those have been shown to like dramatically increase the dopamine hit. Another interesting dynamic with anger addiction is that it's not something that you can just go to a street corner and buy. You have to feel like it's being done to you. So that results in someone being hyper alert to perceived wrongs so that they can whip themselves up a fresh batch of hate juice. So they're always looking to be wronged. And so that's why I think this manifests a lot with, um, you know, driving or road rage type instances, because there are so many opportunities in a road rage situation. In those cases, you might see anger all out of proportion to what has happened because it's sort of like built up. I do think that another driving related thing here that I find in myself is that 
I will find myself sort of ruminating on either a real or perceived wrong. And I sometimes got to catch myself and say, oh my gosh, I'm whipping up a batch of hate juice here. Um, I'm arguing in my head with somebody that hasn't even done something. So I've created a, a, a scenario that hasn't even happened and I'm getting mad at that. And I'm, I've become very alert to those sort of un, unbidden things, but I'm assuming that that is a big part of somebody's life, that they can live in that place where they're constantly creating. Maybe they're even particularly good at it. I should say this too. My hunch is that there is a hereditary component to anger addiction in the same way there is a hereditary component to alcoholism and even food addictions. And I think what is happening there is there's a sensitivity to certain types of dopamine. So what they've done with food is that they've been able to tell that people that are overweight that really like food have like it tastes better to them. I, I don't know how they did the study, but uh, same thing with alcohol. Uh, Jordan Peterson's PhD was essentially uh, there are biomarkers that can tell that you can just look at somebody while they're taking certain amounts of alcohol over a certain amount of time and they could say this person has that component to where they really, really like alcohol, this person probably has a genetic component. And you could be right about that. In other words, that person really, really likes alcohol. That person uh, is very high risk for alcoholism. Um, and I would say the same thing is probably true with anger, that if you, it probably goes back generations. And we can think of it as spiritual, but I don't think it's necessary. I think it could just be that whatever receptors that of the type of dopamine that's produced when you get angry, you might be maybe more susceptible to that... Um, that form of addiction. I want to shift gears slightly here to the topic of unforgiveness, which I think is distinct, but as I said, in the same family. And the reason I want to shift here is because I think many of you have an objection that's forming in your mind right now, which is you don't understand. I have a genuine reason to be angry. This isn't just some dopamine situation. I'm having these real things happen to me, or I had some major traumatic event happened. I have never told anybody about it, but it's just this huge, massive unforgiveness. So I am justified in this anger. And I do think that unforgiveness typically has a different genesis rooted in something like that, something genuine and big and traumatic, something that by the world's standards, you would be justified in holding a grudge for life. Like you could explain it to somebody and they'd say, yeah, wow, okay, well, I get it. Yes, hold that grudge. But as it's often been said, and I'm sure you've heard before, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping somebody else dies. And what I want to point out by that statement is that even the world knows that it's not healthy, like it will destroy you. Like, Let's take away what I'm going to say, which is all the, the other reasons the world knows that that is no way to live, that it is chains to live in that cycle of unforgiveness. I'll finish up this section on the mechanics of anger by speculating that it could probably start both ways. So for example, it could be that something traumatic happens to somebody, they have that initial unforgiveness, which they sort of take on and, and cherish in a sense, and that then later on breeds hatred and anger of other types, basically just your sort of standard um, anger dopamine addiction. 
or I think it could go the reverse. So maybe somebody is just predisposed to anger dopamine and they always look for opportunities to be anger to angry to get the dopamine and then they look at unforgiveness as just sort of another brand of hate juice that they will gladly not forgive somebody and ruminate on it because it's just another way to get more of the juice. So for them, unforgiveness they might harbor unforgiveness towards people for extremely minor things. So what I would like to do with the rest of this podcast is offer you some practical advice and good reasons to break the chains of anger addiction in your life and to live joyful and free lives free of this particular sin. So I think the best way to start is by showing first that anger and unforgiveness is definitely considered sin in the New Testament, and the way that the New Testament speaks of anger and unforgiveness is in the strongest possible terms. This is a very interesting study if you've never done it before. So I'll start off with the idea that one's prayers are extremely limited, if not completely unheard, which may be a little bit too strong, but certainly in the, ma in the matter of God's forgiveness towards you, it is very hindered if you harbor unforgiveness. So for example, Mark eleven twenty five, and when you stand and pray, forgive anything you may have against anyone so that your father in heaven will forgive the wrongs you have done. If you are about to pray and you have unforgiveness in your heart, take care of that first or else you should not expect forgiveness from God. We see this, of course, in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Another similar statement in Matthew 23, 24. If you're about to offer your gift to God at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, go at once and make peace with your brother, and then come back and offer your gift to God. So showing the preeminence of forgiveness over even prayer. We see something similar in 1 Peter 3, 7, where husbands are told to be understanding of their wives and not to be bitter towards them. And the reason that's given is so that their prayers would not be hindered. So bitterness towards your wife equals hindered prayers. We saw earlier that God is telling people, don't pray to me if you currently have unforgiveness in your heart. Rather, go forgive the person first and then come back and pray. So prayer, forgiveness, and anger, they just don't mix. One possible reason for why your prayers would be hindered because you were harboring bitterness or unforgiveness is because anger, wrath, clamor, and slander are specifically mentioned in the passage in Ephesians 4, 30, and 32 about grieving the Holy Spirit of God. So we talk about the, that phrase, grieving the Holy Spirit. Well, it's specifically bitterness, wrath, and anger and clamor, at least in that verse, that's doing the the grieving of the Holy Spirit. So if anger and bitterness grieves the Holy Spirit, certainly you should expect your prayers to be hindered. And the converse is true too. Um, that is to say that the prayers of a righteous man availeth much, which is why, you know, we're told, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you in that same passage. So it's making this point of God's forgiveness and your forgiveness. The parable of the unforgiving servant is exactly this picture. It's this servant who had been uh, forgiven the equivalent of millions and millions of dollars, 
and then he goes and is not forgiving to his fellow servant for some petty amount. And the result of that is the servant is unforgiven. So he was forgiven. He shows unforgiveness in his heart for something petty, sort of diminishing the great gift of forgiveness in his case. And the result of that is that his debt was put back on him. Another aspect of this study is that being angry or bitter gives the devil an opportunity in your life that he would not have otherwise had. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, Be angry, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun set while you are still angry, and do not give the devil an opportunity to work. As the late, great Russ Dizdar was fond of saying, that word for opportunity here in the ESV is the Greek word topos, which means a foothold. It's a unique word to basically say it's an access point. It's a way for Satan to sort of attach to you. It gives him an open door that he would not have otherwise had, which he uses as sort of like a home base to start the progression of getting worse. I should pause here and say that the first part of this verse in Ephesians 4.26 is often used as a kind of justification for what we might call righteous indignation. It says, be ye angry. That's what they'll say. You know, if they're trying to justify this, they'll, they'll try to say that that's really what this verse is teaching, that you can be righteously indignant about stuff like Jesus flipping over the tables in the temple, but just don't take it too far. Don't let the sun go down on it uh, because it will give place to the devil. First of all, if that's what this is teaching, it's really out of context because both before and after this is talking about righteousness and holiness and pursuing it. In fact, that verse that we just read about grieving the Holy Spirit, if you have wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, put it all away, put all that malice away from you. That's just a couple verses later, grieving the Holy Spirit because of anger. And there it doesn't make a distinction between, you know, if you have a little righteous indignation, it's fine. And even if it was teaching that you should have righteous indignation, it wouldn't be something that you as an anger addict could indulge in. Like you do not have the ability to parse that, to not let the sun go down in your anger any more than me as an alcoholic. I can have wine just because Jesus turned water into wine and, you know, he had wine a few times. So I should be able to have wine too. Well, not for me. And so for you as an anger addict, you don't even get to have righteous indignation. You should just stay clear of the whole thing because I don't think that you could control it any more than I could control drinking wine, you know, once a, a month or something. The other verse I want you to consider for this idea that being angry or bitter produces a foothold for Satan is in Hebrews 12, 14 through 17, which says, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causing trouble, and by it many be defiled. And that word is really important. Um, it's a kind of a rare word. It basically means to be made unclean. And it goes on to compare this to Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal and sought uh, repentance, though, you know, with tears, etc., etc. So in that verse, it's actually singling out the sin of bitterness to not be defiled by it. The strong nature of that passage, which really suggests that one can fall away because of anger and unforgiveness, is also seen in Matthew 5, 20 
1 through 22. In fact, it's one of the few sins that Jesus says that if you do that, then you will go to hell. It says, you have heard the ancients were told you shall not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into fiery hell. This is reiterated in other places. Um, Jesus said to him, I do, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77 times. He then goes to tell the parable of the unforgiving servant and concludes by saying, um, is handed over to the torturers that he should repay all he was owned. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. I'm going to play some testimonies at the end of this podcast of two people who, one of which says that they went to hell and they went there because of unforgiveness. And another says that they were shown hell by Jesus himself and was given the choice to either forgive or to be given over to a reprobate mind and and thus end up in hell. And the interesting thing in that case is that he says he almost didn't do it. Like his unforgiveness and hatred was so dear to him that he almost didn't do it. And even though anger and unforgiveness is not my uh, drug of choice, it's not the thing I struggle with the most, I understand that hesitancy. Because in my recent testimony, the last few podcasts where I talked about my testimony in alcoholism and repentance, as I was being convicted towards the end and I started to get these impressions that I was going to go to hell if I didn't quit, even though I believed in one saved, always saved, I had to wrestle with these very strong convictions that somehow I was, that couldn't be true because I was being told that I was going to go to hell. I remember looking at the glass of watered down wine that I made and and being in my head sort of like, you know, I would give up my birthright for this stupid glass. And as much as I hated that, I knew it was true. That's, that's the level of power that sin has, whether it's alcohol or unforgiveness. That's the enemy that we're fighting here. Something way too strong for us to like dabble in, to do a little bit of... No, we're talking about something that has serious teeth. It is looking to devour us. So how can we be free of these chains? And I think that the answer is some tough love. The answer is that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom with an emphasis on the word beginning, which I'll come back to. But, you know, fear him who can throw your body and soul in hell. My last two podcasts, I talked about why why I don't believe once saved, always saved anymore. And, you know, we could listen to those, to Jesus say it in the Sermon of the Mount, but your theology is probably saying something like, you know, Jesus only taught for those people that lived in that first three years, you know, before his crucifixion and after he preached it. It really wasn't meaningful to anybody else. But you should know that literally the entirety of the early church, these are the people that knew the culture, spoke Greek in their original language, were discipled by John himself, had the ability to ask apostles questions, that early church they believed Jesus's teaching on the on the Sermon on the Mount, for example, that unforgiveness would lead to a falling away from your salvation and lead to hell. They believed exactly what he said. I know that we've we've progressed past that uh, these days, but fear of the Lord. If you really believed that if you died right now because of your love of your unforgiveness, 
that you would go to hell, then I bet if you really believed that, you would actually start having victory over that unforgiveness because now you would have a reason to deal with it. So yes, I think that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because we need that fear to get past this most crucial point of repentance, the desire to put it away forever, to do what the Lord says, to believe the Lord, that he's not going to listen to our prayers, that it's going to open up doorways to to the devil, that he's going to send us to hell because of our unforgiveness. We need to believe him and we need to turn to him to avoid that fate. So that fear helps us to get the helper. We need the Holy Spirit because we can't continue to forgive our enemies without his help, without him conforming us to the image of Christ. That's an interesting thing too. You know, it says that we are predestined to be conformed to his image. It's like God says, I love Jesus. I want to have more people like him. And if we refuse to try to even be conformed a little bit in the most obvious attribute of himself, which is forgiving his enemies. I mean, he died on the cross. He forgave literally the people that were stringing him up to the cross. He forgave them. And of course, the whole act of the crucifixion is forgiveness. If we are actually going to be conformed to his image and we refuse to be conformed in that way, the most obvious way, what should we expect from God on that day? What do you think will happen on that day? So what would genuine repentance look like for a person who was struggling with unforgiveness and anger? Because I think that there are some different dynamics with that than there are with, say, alcoholism or pornography or something like that. Because for me, it was, you know, being finally convinced that my soul was on the line and that there weren't, and that this was the final choice, I decided that okay, that's it. There is no chance, no matter what happens, that I'm going back. I'm not going to go to hell for this. And for me, in my case, it was like an instant change. I mean, I had tried to quit a million times and now all of a sudden I've got power. And, and I think that that was the difference. I, I've always wanted that. I always wanted the power, but it, it seems that in my case, it didn't really come until I said, you know, that's it for me. That's really it. And then I got the power. And as I said in the testimony, the temptations that I was sort of used to after quitting uh, before that, they didn't come nearly as much. Like before, it was like I was just constantly dealing with this onslaught of temptation that I was constantly having to resist to my own strength, and it was just a losing battle. And with the Holy Spirit, I remember saying like, you know, something's different here, you know, because while there were temptations, they were few and far between. It was like I wasn't even trying. It was like it wasn't even my doing. It was like it was, and it was the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit. Convi- I don't know what. It's That's just what the Holy Spirit does. Is it makes you not want to sin. So it really is a helper when it comes to resisting temptation. But my point here is that with unforgiveness, it's a little bit different because there is an unbidden aspect to unforgiveness. So it can kind of pop up in your head and you can start to ruminate on it before you, you catch yourself. And so I would expect that there would be less of that with the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, that you would be tempted less, first of all. But I would say this, I bet it's a lot like, so I mentioned in my testimony how um, I don't look at women in a lustful way anymore. And that works because you you can't help but seeing a woman walking down the, the street first, but you can help that second look of, you know, looking at her in a sinful way. So I think that that's probably a similar pattern. Like you can be hit with a temptation 
to be angry. Maybe you're in your car and you find yourself sort of in that pattern of ruminating about something, but then you immediately recognize what it is. It's That's the first look. The second look is deciding to indulge that anger and to ruminate on it some more, as opposed to say, look, that's it. Lord, help me. I don't want to deal with this. You know, help me think about something else. You know, capture that thought, deal with it because you've decided to forgive. You've decided to not be angry anymore. So that's probably what it looks like. I would say it's similar also in the sense that however long it's been going on, especially in the unforgiveness category, is probably um, you know going to take some time to resolve. I, I liken it to quitting cigarettes versus quitting vaping, both of which I have done in the past. And I've said that quitting vaping was way, way, way harder than quitting cigarettes. And the reason is because of the triggers. So when you smoke a cigarette, you smoke what? I was smoking two packs a day. That's like 40 cigarettes a day. That's 40 instances of triggers, maybe getting into a car after a meal, et cetera, et cetera. But with vaping, it became like a every five seconds kind of thing. Like everything was a trigger. Oh, looking at my computer is a trigger. Looking at that is a trigger. Going over here is a trigger. Doing this is a trigger. So it became like hundreds of triggers a day. And after years, your brain just gets rewired. Um, and so it was much harder to quit vaping than it was uh, because of the triggers. And I, I would say that the, the number of years that it's gone on. So here's another example with uh, you know, lusting after women. That's something that I never even tried to take control over for most of my, you know, 40 plus years. So I'm dealing with an entire life of pattern that says it's okay to do that. But I found it's exactly the same story as all the other sins. That is to say, it quickly diminishes the power that it has for your brain to be like, you know, look over there, look over there, you're missing out, you're missing out. That just dies down and dies down and dies down. As you sow to the spirit you will reap more of the spirit. If you sow to the flesh, even a little bit, like you say, well, I'm just going to look this one time, just sow to the flesh, one little seed over here to the flesh, it's going to reap corruption and it's going to get worse. That's why you can't toy around with any of these things. They all have to be cut off completely. But because anger is one of those things that is unbidden in the same way that a beautiful woman walking down the street is unbidden, you can't help but see her initially. They both are similar in that way where they are presented as a temptation that you will have to work on the rest of your life, that you can't get out of this world, you can't go live in a mountain somewhere. So you're going to have to deal with those initial hits, but you can choose not to indulge. There's always a moment, a choice where you get to say, am I going to indulge this or am I going to look away? Or am I going to you know, go to the Lord about this as opposed to indulge the anger? A guy who says that he was shown hell and basically given a choice to choose it or not to choose it. And his story actually, I think, sounds a lot like mine, although his is much more in your face in terms of the Holy Spirit in his life. Mine was more impressions. His, according to his testimony, is just sort of right in your face kind of thing. But uh, I think that they're both instructive. So without any further ado, I will play them and that will be it for me. Hope this helps. I'm doing this video to warn you that you absolutely can lose your salvation and that it happened to me. And I wanted to warn others so that they don't go down the same path that I went down. And I know that many people out there are not going to believe my story, and that's fine. But I'm just going to tell my story and let those who have ears to hear, hear it. So about 11 years ago, I was radically born again and filled with the Holy Spirit when I confessed Jesus 
as my Lord. And I was so radically filled and immediately transformed that, you know, even people within the church started to look at me like I was very strange. And I mean, everything had changed. I was made completely new with new desires, new interests, uh, new hobbies, new everything. And all I wanted to do was to tell people that Jesus is real and alive and that he had revealed himself to me. And, you know, he began to weed sin out of my life. Uh, with my mouth and just generally my ways of thinking. And I felt his presence constantly. And he spoke to me, you know, verses that I didn't even know at the time. I, I hadn't even read yet. And I mean, it was incredible. He he revealed himself to me in such powerful ways, uh, seemingly on a regular basis. And it was so easy walking in the spirit. You know, all I had to do was to say yes when he told me to do something. And I wondered if it would always be this easy. So I asked him. I asked him if it would always be like this. And I believe he gave me this image or vision where it was almost like I was just floating through life and he was guiding me through all these different uh, you know, rooms and hallways. And he, he spoke to me and told me that the only thing that I had to do was to not reach out and grab anything in this world. Well, within a few months, uh, something happened where some people who were close to me hurt me uh, very deeply, and I started to get very offended and started harboring this unforgiveness. And this unforgiveness led to anger, and this anger kept welling up, and eventually over time, it led to outright hatred. And, you know, again, I'd only been a Christian for a few months, and God was trying to tell me to stop it with the unforgiveness. And he'd been telling me to, you know, let it go and to walk in the way of peace and love. But, uh, you know, they just kept doing things to hurt me and offend me over and over again. Uh, there, was, there was this one time when I was just really upset. I, you know, I, was, I just started going off about them to my wife and just venting all my anger at what they had done to me. And, you know, I just kept going off. And then all of a sudden it happened. God spoke to me so loudly and clearly that it actually echoed in my head several times. I mean, it was loud. And he just cut me off right in the middle of me just, you know, yelling and, and going off about them. And he said, stop it. That's enough. And it just echoed and it took me aback for a second. And I just thought, wow. I mean, this was the clearest and the loudest that I've ever heard God before. And what's weird is despite how loud and startling and clear this was, unfortunately, I decided to not listen and just push straight ahead and started, you know, just going off about them again to my wife. And immediately I felt the Holy Spirit leave me. I felt the exact second when the Holy Spirit left me. Hatred at that point entered into my heart, you know, it, it's just like it says in the book of James, where there was this temptation, and this temptation gave birth to sin, and this sin just grew and grew until it gave birth to this anger and this hatred in my heart. And, you know, I entered one of the darkest times in my life. I was overrun by hatred, and, uh, you know, I no longer uh, had the power to fight it. I, I was just completely overtaken by it, and it just it just kept getting worse and worse. I ended up having severe demonic attacks, not only against my mind, but 
also affecting my body as well, where, uh, you know, all of a sudden I started getting all these mystery illnesses, these strange mystery illnesses where the doctors couldn't even figure out what was wrong with me. And it was a, just a very difficult time in my marriage as well. Uh, I, I no longer had God's peace and his guidance and his direction became very limited. And in fact, it seemed like some of the only times that, uh, that he would speak to me would be whenever I, I, I thought it was pretty harsh words, whenever he would speak pretty harsh words to me. Uh, but the crazy thing is about all this is that I thought I was a Christian. I mean, I would very much still, you know, go to church. I would watch Christian sermons. Uh, I would still read my Bible and God would tell me again, very harsh things that I didn't want to hear. And this one time I asked God to tell me why I'd felt uh, his presence leave me and why I felt different. And I mean, I knew, I mean, I knew exactly why. And, but he told me Luke 962, that no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And I mean, I got very angry. I mean, I was highly offended and mad, you know, thinking, how could God say something like that to me, right? So sin just overran my life and gave birth to other sins. And it was just this snowball effect. And I just became enslaved to sin and I couldn't get free. I didn't have the power anymore to become free from my sin. Uh, you know, I just, I kept running from God and this happened for nearly a year. And again, I asked God uh, why I was being overrun by sin. And he took me to the book of Jonah and said, listen, you've been running from me. Come back. Well, what I ended up doing, because, you know, I heard someone else uh, do this and they had a breakthrough from it, was I locked myself in a room and I said, uh, you know, that I wasn't going to come out until I was right with God. And I, I cried out to God for maybe 45 minutes. And he came to me and showed me this vision where he grabbed me and took me and dangled me off the side of a cliff. And down below was the lake of fire. And he told me that I had to choose him or the world. And I knew that, you know, it meant that if he let go, I would be permanently handed over to a reprobate mind and uh, that the lake of fire would be my outcome. And there was a sense that it was permanent. You know, that this was, uh, there was this very real sense that I had a genuine choice to make here and that whatever I chose right then and there would have a permanent outcome that would be irreversible. And the crazy thing is, I, you know, I was filled with so much anger and hatred towards not only others, but towards God that I almost chose to let to, to have him let me go. And I mean, I was just so upset and I was filled with demons. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. Uh, but barely, I ended up choosing him. Then what he did was he pulled me back up over the edge of the cliff and then told me, then actually obey me. Now, many right there will say, aha, see, the fact that you came back proves that, you know, you couldn't have lost your salvation because he came after you. And they'll try to put this sort of Calvinist spin on it and say, you know, uh, that you're just predestined to turn back to him. And, you know, this was the case all along and you really didn't have a choice. No, guys, listen, I had a real genuine choice to make. And this choice was permanent. And, and if I had chosen uh, for him to let me go, I would have been, no doubt about it, handed over to a reprobate mind. I mean, I know it. 
And I had to cry out to him. It was a very painful uh, process. But from that moment on, that moment that I repented, I was filled again with the Holy Spirit. And uh, all the mystery illnesses that I had just vanished and they went away. And it, and it felt like this weight was just lifted off my chest. And I mean, I was set on fire for the Lord for three days where I actually uh, felt hot to the touch. I mean, literally, my wife actually took my temperature and, uh, you know, I didn't have a temperature. I mean, my temperature was normal, but I, I was just physically hot to the touch for three days afterwards. And all these writings just came pouring out of me, uh, you know, over this time period. And I mean, I was just on fire for the Lord again from then on. So guys, this is why I'm so passionate about the topic of eternal security and why I preach on it so much, because I know it's a lie. And because, uh, you know, I've been all the way to the brink and back. And so I'm doing this video to warn believers that salvation can be lost. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We, he can hand us over to a reprobate mind. And, you know, we can be cast off if we disobey him. You know, I, I wish that I would have known that. And I wish that somebody uh, would have warned me. So, uh, you know, I'm doing this video out of love for you and to warn you that we have to endure to the end. We have to continue to fight the good fight of faith all the way to the end. So I beg you to not forsake the Lord by continuing in your sin. Stay close to him. Don't go back to the world. You know, you, you really truly can lose your salvation and become hardened and be handed over to a reprobate mind where you're deceived.